Michelle Donnelly, and this is the Christian Single Moms Podcast. I believe that every single mom can discover a life of peace, power, and purpose, and that you can do it right through the things that God is carrying you through in your season as a single mom. Here we talk about all of the things that matter to a single mom, but most of all, I hope you found a place where you feel like you belong. Let's get started. I'm really glad to have you with me for this conversation today. I'm your host, Michelle Donnelly. Today's conversation is a deep dive into understanding loneliness, and I'm joined by author and therapist, Dr. Mark Mayfield. Mark gives some insights into loneliness and its effects on us, but also gets to some of the root causes so that we're able to begin moving forward. I know a lot of us deal regularly with feelings we'd rather not have, feelings like loneliness, anxiety, rejection, anger, and depression. The ways we've learned to cope with these emotions and with our triggers can help us survive but they can also eventually keep us stuck in patterns that cause us to feel overwhelmed and threaten our well-being and our relationships, especially when it comes to our kids. Over at plusoneparents.org slash quiz, you can take the what's your stress style quiz and learn more about how your coping strategies might actually be holding you back, but how you can also make changes that will get you moving forward. That quiz again is at plusoneparents.org slash quiz. When it comes to my own personal experiences with loneliness, it is this thing that just seems to ebb and flow. And sometimes I will feel like it's gone and then it's back. And I think something that's really refreshing about Mark's perspective is just the understanding that those feelings are normal and that they can draw us into discovering what it is to be seen and known. Here's my conversation with Dr. Mark Mayfield. Mark, so great to have you. Welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is this is great. Mark, I am so thrilled to have this conversation with you because loneliness is front and center when it comes mm-hmm. to the single mom experience. And what I have found though is that really understanding what loneliness is and being able to identify how it's different perhaps from something like isolation can mm-hmm. help us to start to move forward with finding some things that really help us in the process of dealing with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting because I'm a big, and I talk about this in the book, I, I'm a big proponent that language you know, really creates culture. And I think a lot of times we don't have a definition of loneliness that we can really grab onto and and, and relate to. Uh, and if we don't have that, we don't move forward, right? So mm-hmm. um, you know, I say in the book, and this is kind of my definition, and I, want, I, I always say this, this is my definition. This is not something that should be totally yours, but you know, is there anything you relate to as you, as you hear the definition? But I, I really say that, that loneliness is the state of being unseen or unnoticed relationally, mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually. Uh, and the big thing is it's driven by a lack of purpose, meaning, or relationship uh, and, and can be you know, marked by hopelessness. And I think that's where pervasive loneliness kicks in is when we have that hopelessness piece uh, really settle in. Yes. And I think it's so critical what you're saying as well, because loneliness is something that we can experience in a relationship. And I think a lot of women listening have that very real experience. So we can't always say, well, it's just because I'm not 
in a significant relationship that that's why I'm lonely. But I think that's important too, because sometimes we think, okay, well, I'm lonely because I'm not in a relationship. So that'll be the thing to fix it. But so often the thing that we Mm -hmm. think is going to fix our loneliness can actually keep it going and make it worse. Yeah, definitely. I see that all the time in my practice is that we have people that are in relationships and thinking that that's going to fix it all. Or you do premarital counseling and you get people coming in thinking that it's going to fix all their problems and it actually deepens it and worsens it, you know? And I think we have such a, it's such a contradictive idea uh, where, okay, I can understand if I'm isolated from somebody, then that's going to possibly create loneliness. Um, But it's such a foreign concept to think I'm surrounded by people and I don't feel seen. I don't feel valued. I don't feel loved. I'm not noticed emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. Mm -hmm. Uh, That creates, I think, uh, almost a a big barrier to moving forward. Mm -hmm. And that seen and known piece is really fascinating to me because I think a lot of times we may grow up with patterns that Mm -hmm. cause us to actually remove ourselves from the possibility of being seen and known. And that's how we might end up. And with our finding ourselves in a relationship that actually perpetuates that feeling of being unseen and unknown. And we may not even really realize though, that these are patterns Mm -hmm. that we're doing subconsciously. Would you talk to that a little bit as far as why going into relationship may not necessarily fix it? Well, sure. I think a lot of it is we have to understand kind of the relational imprinting uh, of our lives. And, you know, we talk through, I talk a lot about attachment. I know you do as well. And so it's, it's this understanding of, of how our initial, you know, uh, relational models affect how we see and operate and, and, and interact in the world. Right. And I think a lot of us, I would say that a lot of us have maybe have some uh, form of secure attachment, but, you know, because of life, you know, that's been disrupted through anxious or avoidant or ambivalent, you know, attachment models. And uh, if we don't pay attention to that, then we're, you know, it's that idea that we're going to repeat something that is Mm. familiar Mm -hmm. uh, versus step out and go, I'm going to choose something different. You know, and I think that only happens when we talk about it. You know, we mm-hmm. go, oh, okay. You know, I was, my mom was really anxious when she was raising me and, you know, it developed some anxiety in me and now I'm doing that to my kids, but then I'm doing that to uh, my significant other if, I, if I'm dating or if I'm in a relationship and that's causing panic. And, you know, and so it's like we, in some ways, unconsciously <laughs> recreate yeah. everything that we experienced, whether we liked it or not. And that uh, can be disconcerting. Yeah. I think that learning a new way thing can be difficult too. And as you mentioned, mm-hmm. being able to talk it out though, we can start to understand, wow, like what I think is just the way I do things, the way I do relationship is actually drawing me in with people who are emotionally unavailable to me. For someone right. who's not that uh, familiar, though, with this attachment theory, just can you give a quick flyover? You mentioned anxious, avoidant, and ambivalent. Just what each of yeah. those. Yeah. Well, there's just so basically, you know, the way that we are uh, connected from you know birth to uh, kind of our precognitive years, right? So birth to three or four years old really impacts how we form relationships. And so, a secure attachment is I've got a need. That need is is met by my caregiver. And a lot of times we think we have to figure out the need, but with a child, if we just attend to their crying, that actually meets the need. And then we figure it out. You know, I have a, a seven-month-old at home right now, surprise COVID mm. uh, child. And 
um, you know, I don't always get it right when he's crying, mm-hmm. but when I, I'm attending to his need, I'm providing that security because I'm there. I'm present and trying to figure it out. And that creates a secure identity, a secure attachment. But a lot of times, uh, like my own story, I was two and a half months premature in an incubator for, you know, eight weeks and not any physical contact and not in, in, you know, my needs were being met, but through tubes and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, wires and that kind of stuff. And so in that created an anxious attachment for me. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, as I got older, I realized I was always micromanaging my world, mm-hmm. my relationships, because I wanted to have control around that. And I didn't realize until I got into my profession, mm-hmm. what that was, right? right. And that's and so that I preoccupation think, with disconnection, basically, that is this person going to stick around? Or are they going to leave? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to do everything I can to make them stay, mm-hmm. but I'm actually doing everything I can to push them away. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's that <laughs> counterintuitive. Yeah. You know, then there's the, the avoidant attachment where I'm doing everything I can to not stay connected, not be close, you know, because of the pain that that has caused, whether we are cognitive around that, mm-hmm. uh, or it, most of the time it's unconscious, right? We, right. we get close and our body reacts, right. you know, and we, we avoid. And then it really is just this, you know, it's, it's what it is, right? It's, I don't care. I'm not, you know, I'm numb. Mm. Uh, I'm not going to engage. Uh, I might engage to a certain extent, but I've got these walls and boundaries up. Mm-hmm. Well, I shouldn't say boundaries because boundaries are good things. I got these right. walls up. Yes. <laughs> I, right. got the, uh-huh. I got these, I got these walls up that keep me from going any further. And, and then I walk away wondering why nobody wants to connect with me. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really interesting too, that needs is, really what's core to all of this, because I find that when then it comes for us to engage in relationship, whatever kind that is, whether it's friendship, romantic, whatever, that needs really are the thing that God has put in each of us. We have relational needs. We have shortcomings. We have things that we cannot fully do for ourselves. And that's how he designed community to work was that, hey, you have these gifts and you have these needs. And so we put people together and you know, wonderful things can happen. But if we're disconnected from being able to speak up when we have needs, when we feel threatened about having needs, when we feel that it's easier just to not have needs or to take care of them all by ourselves, that's really where a lot of this isolation, self-isolation can Mm -hmm. get going. And we just don't even know that we're doing it because a lot of times it's something that we have learned to do just to survive through unhealthy patterns of relationships. Sure. I mean, it's self-preservation, right? Mm-hmm. And I think we have to recognize that that's not a bad thing. Yeah. Until, but, you know, it's what we do with it once we realize kind of where we're at. And right. I think I always tell my clients, you know, let's not judge what you've done to this point mm-hmm. because you've, you've survived. You're a survivor. You're, yeah. you know, you're, let's find a way to get you from survival mode to thriving. Yeah. And a lot, and a lot of that is, I think, just taking a step back and recognizing where you're at mm-hmm. and what, 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 what's got you to that point? And do you want to continue those patterns and those behaviors or do you want to change? And I think, and you probably see this all the time too, is that it's actually scarier to change than it is to stay in a maladaptive pattern because you're used to, you know what the consequences are for this maladaptive pattern, right. but there's the unknown of what's around the corner if you're choosing to change and to be different. And that can be scary. And I always want your listeners and I want the people I work with to know that's normal and that's okay. It's yeah. like, let's not power through change. Let's like, let's, you know, let's realize we have to change and then let's take some baby steps. And, and, you know, in some ways it's like, uh, dipping into a hot tub. You, you don't want to dive right in because it's going to be overwhelming, but you, you sit there on the side of the hot tub with your feet in there and mm-hmm. get used to the temperature and then mm-hmm. you move in. And I think we have to do that with our mental and emotional health as well. Mm-hmm. And our relational health, 
Um, but I just think it's interesting, and you, you mentioned this, that uh, science is actually showing that our brain does not reach its fullest potential and f- fullest health unless we're in a safe and um, engaging relationship with somebody. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't have to be a, a spouse, it, it just anybody, yeah. right? I mean, a mentor, a, a friend, a small group, a church, you know, um, a parent. And I think the thing, as you mentioned, though, with this step-by-step approach is recognizing that actually one of the places that we can first start feeling the sense of seeing, being seen and known is with God himself. And he mm-hmm. is the safest, no-risk entity, person, whatever you want to say that we could engage with in this way that we can begin to explore vulnerability, explore mm-hmm. needs, explore hurt and all of these kinds of things and be fully received, fully loved in the, in the experience of that. And mm-hmm. so as we start to say, okay, God actually is for me. God loves me. God cares for me. Then we find that same sense in other Jesus followers who are living life close to the Lord that are abiding with him that then would receive us in the same way. And so a lot of times when we start embarking on community, like for myself, after my divorce, God plunked me into a church where I instantly met a mentor. And that was the first person that I felt that I could start to explore what it was to open up about my past and these experiences and all these kinds of things and start to feel like I belong somewhere, like somebody gets Mm -hmm. this, somebody sees me. And so that's kind of that incremental process though, that would move us into then more friendships, more romantic relationships, things like that in the future. But I think we just think sometimes like I got to get from A to Q. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to do it. Well, I think one of the big things too, is is to set realistic expectations for what this is going to look like. Mm -hmm. I, I, often think, uh, and I'm sure you probably hear this too, is that people are like, well, I tried mm-hmm. and they didn't meet my expectations. Well, what were your expectations? They're not God, right? And so, mm-hmm. yes, you know, that relationship that you have with God that you're fostering and developing, it's great, but it's, it's, he is perfect. People are not going to be perfect. Yeah. And so it's, you're going to try and you might, it might not work right away, or it might not be what your expectations are. And so you're going to be disappointed and there's going to be a temptation to, uh, retreat, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I will. I really, really encourage individuals to go. You know what? Before you engage in a, any kind of relationship, uh, at, you know, in a church or friendship, like just just be very honest in a journal about what your expectations are, mm-hmm. um, because I think one of the antithesis, or I thought the antithesis of loneliness is is identity, hope, and purpose, and that doesn't involve anybody but ourselves and God. Mm-hmm. And so once we figure those things out, then we can, then our expectations of people can be a little bit looser. Yes. Wow. Uh, That's so profound. And you did mention at the outset that purpose is really a central point of this loneliness experience too. Would you uh highlight that? What does purpose have to do with this experience with loneliness? Well, I I think, well, first of all, I think it definitely, it has to flow from the question of who am I and whose am I? So it, it flows from identity. And if we haven't figured out that, and I know it's a very existential question that freaks people out sometimes, but it's like, <laughs> you know, I, I, you know, the who am I and whose am I, I, I think is a key foundational concept because then our purpose flows from that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and purpose really is, is answering the question, what, what, have, what have I been placed on this earth to do? And, and I think for a lot of people, uh, again, that's a scary question, but it, is it that I'm going to be the best mom that I can be for my kids. I'm going to be present. I'm going to be engaged. 
I'm going to have good boundaries and good self-care. I'm not going to be enmeshed, but I'm going to do the best I can to raise my kids to be uh, godly uh, uh, citizens that care for others and, and, and love God well and love each other well, and, you know, the great commandment. Uh, and I think that's a good place to start. Yeah. So I think a lot of times we have to go, okay, well, what's my purpose? Do I, you know, do I have a career? Do I, you know, those are all great things and those flow out of our identity. And, but those don't, like you said, they don't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. It, it's something that you have to sit with and wrestle with and cry with and, and be angry about and, and work through, you know, emotionally. Uh, and then, then it's a live document. It's going mm-hmm. to, it's going to change over the course of time. Our identity doesn't, right? Who's we are right. doesn't change, but the purpose that flows from that does. And I think once we have that identity and then that purpose that flows from there, uh, it's almost like there's not any room for loneliness to creep in mm. um, because of that hope that comes from that. You know, and I think as we look at that identity piece, you know, it, when you're in a broken season, there, there are lots of questions about who God really mm-hmm. is. Who am mm-hmm. I? And in some places we feel like I'm starting this all over, but mm-hmm. it's actually a, a really wonderful place to start. And for me, it was the place where I started to recognize all the lies that I believed about God yes. and who he really was. And as mm-hmm. I explored who he was, I started to see who I was to him. And I started being able to access what he said about me that I couldn't really understand what it was to be beloved before I knew who he was as love itself. Right. Mm -hmm, And so mm -hmm. as I continue to explore what that is, then you start to see yourself differently and you start to see your gifts and your interests. And you're, you're like, okay, well, if this is what makes me different than someone else, why is all this here? Why do I have all these gifts? Why did God put these things in me? And to me, that was where purpose became really clear in saying, okay, well, I have a passion for this and I'm good at this. And so if we put those two things together, like what happens? Right. (laughs) Um, But then when you see though, that you have these needs and other people have needs, then it becomes a little bit easier to say, okay, well, I'm going to let the Lord meet the really deep, significant ones. (laughs) And I'm going to start letting people in though, to maybe some of those surface level ones of just even someone to hang out with on a, you know, Saturday afternoon or something like that. Like I need to be around some people, you know? And, and when you find that there's people who are really flaky and they can't be there for you or whatever, I'm like, okay, you're just not my people. That's fine. (laughs) I'll keep going. Right. And that's where some of those Mm -hmm. trial and error happens. But when you've spent that time with God first, and getting that identity piece settled a little more, then whatever rejections might come up, if we want to even call them rejections, we can say more or less, this is not really even necessarily about me. Well, I, I don't even call them rejections. I call them refinements, mm. you know, because yeah. it's really refining the process. You're just, you know, okay, I'm trying and I'm putting myself out there and I'm, well, oh, that didn't work. Why didn't that work? Okay. I didn't work because of this, 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 you know? Yeah. And so it's a great refining process. And I love what you're talking about though. I talk about it in the book quite a bit about this idea of the story cycle and, mm-hmm. and what, what lies do we believe about ourselves that we've been taught or told, mm-hmm. um, you know, that we tell ourselves. And until we realize that, like you were saying, until we recognize that we can't break free from those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the neat p- part about just this life is that God is all about the narrative and we can, yeah. we can, once we align with him, and, and, you know, and, and we can recreate that narrative to something beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then not to say that the, the, the whole story up to that point's not been beautiful. We have to have to look for it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, and so it's that really that, that allowing ourselves to feel again. And I, I think a lot of times the church 
is is well meaning, but we 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 engage emotions as positive or negatives, mm-hmm. and they're not. They're just emotions. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not a good, a bad, or a good or a bad emotion. There's just some that are easier to deal with than others. Yeah. <laughs> but I think a lot of the wrestling and the growth happens when we wrestle with some of those more difficult ones. And when you say um, allow yourself to feel, I think that's so important as well too, because some of our survival mechanisms have been, let's just shut those all down. Let's shut down all right. the feelings. And so this sense of loneliness can be difficult because it, it's one of the heavier ones. It's one of the ones mm-hmm. that makes us feel insignificant. It makes us feel irrelevant, unknown, all of these kinds of things. So for someone who's maybe trying to work through that and trying to start to feel again, how does loneliness actually start to actually manifest in our bodies before maybe we're even aware of what we're feeling? Well, I think it can be a couple different ways. Uh, one of them is just through our, our stress response. And so there's a, there's a hormone uh, that we talk, don't talk about very often called cortisol. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of that stress hormone that gets us, you know, fight, fight, or freeze response gets us moving forward. But over time, it actually, if it's kept on, uh, it will begin to wear wear away our uh, immune system, mm. uh, you know. And we know just from a scientific perspective that if the stress hormone is kept on too long, it actually shrinks uh, our brain uh, oh physically, you know. And so uh, it, it it'll it keep because it keeps us in survival mode, mm-hmm. right? And so when our brain is shrunk, we're not we're reacting more to the fight, fight, or freeze our you know uh, response versus the thinking response, and so. We're just in this survival mode. Uh, let's get it done, move forward. But when we, and, and so we have less cortisol receptors. When we have a cortisol receptor, then there's a place for the cortisol to go mm-hmm. and to be processed and then the, to be released. But if we have less cortisol receptors, there's not enough place for the cortisol to go to be received and processed. And so I think one piece is to recognize, you know, how are we allowing, how are we managing our stress? Now, sometimes stress is a good thing, right? But prolonged stress is not a good thing. And uh, I see so much of that then deteriorating our immune system. And now we're getting a cold, we're getting sick, we're mm-hmm. you know, opening up to disease pathways, as I talk about in the book. Mm-hmm. But on a simplistic standpoint too, I think it's, it's being able to be grounded in our body in the here and now. And so recognizing, oh gosh, like my stomach has been doing loops for the last, you know, two to three weeks. And, you know, it almost feels like I have a stomach ache, but I'm not, Oh, what is that? Oh, that's, that's, that's mm-hmm. an emotion trying to come out, you know, mm-hmm. or I can't, I can't catch my breath, you know, at certain points of the day. Oh, that's an emotion trying to, or my shoulders are really tight, or I've got this headache that won't go away. You know, those are physiological symptoms, but they're, they're actually emotions manifesting in our body trying to get out, mm-hmm. you know? And so we have, um, you know, I've got resources where we have what we call the emotions wheel that really takes the basic emotions and then splinters out to being able to be more descriptive. But I also have got tools where, okay, if, if my head is hurting, what emotion is that? Mm. You know, and so be, being able to begin to name things and, you know, as we begin to name things, we call them out, right? Language is really important. Mm-hmm. God spoke things into being. He just mm-hmm. didn't think things into being. And mm-hmm. so when we begin to speak those things out loud, it begins to release those things from our body. And it's a, it's a beautiful process. Now, when we look at how we medicate those things, I think that's <laughs> one of the things that holds us yep. back really as we go, oh, headache, Advil, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and we're like, gee, mm-hmm. wow, I just feel really bad. Or for me, this was manifesting as 
frequent heartburn. And so yeah. it was going back to the doctor, back to the doctor, nothing is working, nothing is working, nothing is working. <laughs> and when you get to the end of the pharmaceutical like lineup, then you're kind of left to, to resource something else. Like what other way can I manage this? Because we're just covering it up with medications mm. rather than getting to the root cause. Mark, what are some other ways though, that things in society actually perpetuate our loneliness, especially if we're talking about social media? Oh yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. No, it, it's, it is that distractive piece, right? So social media, you know, um, you know, for, those of us at this age, it's still Facebook for many, it's not Facebook anymore, but you know, for those of us that are thirties and forties, you know, it's, it's Facebook and it's that we're kind of the voyeuristic mindset of we're looking and peering into other people's lives. And that, you know, if, if we don't feel like we measure up, right. Then that creates more angst, more stress, more depression. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can create more anxiety, you know, wow, man, this is a, there's, I'm following this single mom on whatever. And, and they look like they have it all together. Mm. Well, you know, I wish we could zoom out of the picture that was posted and go, right. you know, nope, that they dishes in the sink and their mm-hmm. kids are screaming and hanging from the lamp. Post. I mean, like it's, it's, it's not real uh, or realistic. Instagram's the same way, but that, that creates a, uh, a dopamine response in our brain that every time we get a like or a follow or we somebody is paying attention to us on our social media, it, it does it does the same thing as uh, you know uh, not as extreme, but the same thing as cocaine or marijuana would do mm-hmm. to our brain. It gives us that little bump up. Okay, I feel good. I feel good about myself. Yeah. But then we go back to it over and over again. You know that's why I love you know when we look at our iPhones. I get that report every week. Here's how many hours a day you spend on your phone. I'm like, oh crud. Yeah. Like, I probably should. <laughs> To mitigate that, but then watching the news, I mean, there's a, just a bunch of different things that that will continue to create uh, uh, this. I think increasing the the anxiety threshold is what I call it, or the emotional threshold. You know, it it, it closer it gets to the surface, the more and more uh, the harder it is to to be able to man- manage. Mm-hmm. I think you just called me out, and I need to go take a picture of the dishes in the sink and go post it. On <laughs> yep, yeah. <laughs> no, and I think it's important what you're saying, though, too, especially as we're talking about stress hormones and cortisol and dopamine and all this kind of stuff, because you think about even certain outlets like Twitter, for example, are prime for everyone just sort of sharing their opinions. And it's like, mm-hmm. well, I'm just going to get on here, and you can do it on Facebook too or wherever else, but it's like, I'm going to get on here and I'm just going to air my vent my frustrations, and we feel better. We feel like maybe somebody will see it and we then begin this unhealthy process though of maybe arguing back or, you know, that kind of stuff. And if, again, we've grown up where that is a normal way of communicating with people, then we pull towards these maladaptive strategies that ultimately though, when we walk away from that conversation, even though we might feel vindicated or you know, I said my piece or whatever, like I, I feel known right now. I think what's so important, as you mentioned, that drop-off will happen though. And that's mm-hmm. the thing that the chemicals will calm, you know, they'll come down. And then, then I think for me, like a panic sets in, you know, a panic, mm-hmm. whether it was from, you know, a conversation that happened, whether good or bad, you know, likes all this kind of stuff, this just like heightened, awareness sets in and then it's like, now what do I do? So for that type of scenario, Mark, when we're starting to realize like, oh no, like I'm I'm starting to feel this crash, this come down. I'm starting to Mm -hmm. sense that I'm, 
you know, I've been pulled back for too long and now I've isolated for too long or, or whatever we've done. How can we start to re-engage? Well, I think it's all about uh, recognizing our habits and our neural pathways. Mm-hmm. And, and I think one of those things is we recognize, we think that, you know, creating a habit is going to take 30 days. It actually takes three cycles of 30 days. Mm. And so uh, I don't say 90 days because that freaks people out. Um, Cause like, I can't, <laughs> but it's, but it, if we can, if we can keep to something for three cycles of 30 days, uh, one, maybe how we respond to something or how we, you know, how we engage something or how often we're on the phone or, whatever that looks like, you know, if we want to create a new habit of being with the Lord or working out or that kind of stuff that create similar responses, but healthier responses in our bodies. Um, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some persistence. And uh, I think the same thing goes with relationships, mm-hmm. right? It's, we've got to give it a chance. And so uh, it's not so much, I think, looking at it from when things are, when we you know I'm coming down off of something, it's going, let's look at the bigger picture and go, what kind of patterns, what kind of rhythms uh, do I want to create in my life that are going to lead to uh, more healthy patterns? And, and I think we have to, we have to zoom out a little bit and go, okay, it's going to take some time and it's going to take some trial and error and it's going to take some persistence. um, And that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I think, as you mentioned, this is the place where we feel prone to get frustrated with ourselves or to Mm -hmm. feel defeated and to give up because we might try something even for a couple of weeks and feel like, I'm not getting very far. I keep having to do this. Mm-hmm. It must not be working. And to right. hear you say though, it's probably going to take 90 days. <laughs> then yeah. it, it just gains. I, I know it's hard to say like, wow, 90 days, it's a long time. But at the same time, we can give ourselves so much more grace for the fact that this is going to take that many repetitions. That mm-hmm. if we know that we're crashing and you know, our tendency is to maybe like run to eat something or our tendency is to just bury ourselves in work or we explode and get angry, whatever our, our response would typically be that we know to learn how to self-soothe in those instances. If I need to start practicing just to take deep breaths when I start to feel that panic, mm-hmm. that it's going to take some time before that actually really over time will change the way I'm responding then right. it's easier to say, all right, well, I just have to keep at it. I just have to keep at it. And it does get easier though. And it does at least offer some relief in that short term. Um, and so if we just, I think if we understand though, like you said, the length of time that that takes, we can be mm-hmm. so much more gentle with ourselves with this whole thing. Well, I think you, yeah, absolutely. The gentle piece I love because it's, uh, it's, it's not being, we can be our harshest critic. And mm-hmm. so giving ourselves some time but it is interesting with some things, not with everything, but with some things after we hit that 90 day mark, it's almost like it becomes second nature mm-hmm. and, and we don't believe it, but it's, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard. And then, Oh, 90 days. Oh, wow. Okay. Like I didn't run to, you know, a cookie or I didn't run mm-hmm. to, you know, burying myself in work or, yeah. you know, just numbing out with Netflix. I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm engaging with this emotion right now. And I'm going to process through it. I'm going to name it. I'm going to engage it. and Oh, look at there. It didn't hang out as long as it has in the past, you know? Yeah. I liken it to the experience of takeoff in an airplane where it's just like bumpy, 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 like takeoff, takeoff, takeoff. And then all of a sudden you get over the clouds and you get into that, you know, Mm 10,000 feet (laughs) coasting, you know, kind of space. And it's like, oh, okay. Like we can breathe. This is, we're just going to kind of, you know, there's some bumps along the way, but you know, we know how to ride with the bumps now. It's not all going to be takeoff anymore. (laughs) It's just a little little bit of adjustment here and there. 
Yep, absolutely. Mark, when it comes to actually, though, moving into that process of engaging with relationships and really starting to dive into community, for some of us, it can seem extremely frightening. And we talked a little bit about a step-by-step approach. How does understanding the way that God has put us all together in community and relationship help us to perhaps break down some of the fear that we might have and start to challenge ourselves in these ways? Well, I I think you've got to make sure, like I said earlier, what your expectations are for those relationships. I think a lot of times we come in and we dive in and go, they're going to meet all my needs. Mm -hmm. And it's like, no, I think take a step back and just go, okay, what, what are my expectations? What I'm, what am I hoping to get out of this? And what am I hoping to put into this? Uh, I think is a big deal. Cause I think a lot of times we expect people to to pour into us and we're not going to do anything in return. So it's that reciprocal piece. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think also going, okay, what what is a realistic expectation around how long this might be uncomfortable? Mm. You know, you think about first time stepping into a small group and you're like, I don't know anybody and I'm not sure how much to share. Will they receive me if I share this? You know, and so I think there's that that almost um, holding pattern uh, or period of time that it's, it's going to be awkward. And don't, you know, the, you know, going back to just our previous conversation about creating a habit, like, give it some time. Mm. Um, but then I think, you know, I think this is where if you have a mentor or somebody in your life that you can help process with is because I think myself included, a lot of us tend to dive in, here's me and we share everything and yeah. it, it scares people sometimes. And so I think for us going, okay, how much am I willing to share? How much am I willing to be vulnerable? What are my boundaries? Right. And I think one of the big things is, is understanding boundaries and boundaries can be walls. Uh, my example of boundaries is walls, fence posts, and chain link fence. Mm-hmm. You know, um, sometimes we need walls, sometimes we need fence posts, but a lot of times this chain link fence idea, like a backstop to a baseball uh, field, is it's 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 permeable. We can see and pass the information through, but there's a clear entry point, and uh, I've got to decide what that looks like and for whom uh, is, is allowed in, uh, and, it, and we shouldn't allow a ton of people in at first. Mm-hmm. It should be a very select few. And so I think, you know, I wish that was a two plus two equals four formula. I think it's going to be uniquely different to everybody. And so the pre-work that you've got to do is asking those questions. What's the purpose of this relationship? What am I hoping to get out of it? What am I hoping to put into it? Um, what potential emotions or triggers could come out of this that I need to be paying attention to prior? Uh, and what length of time do I need to invest in this before I realize mm, maybe this is not the right format or the relationship. And that's okay. And giving yourself the freedom to go, okay, I gave it three months and we've not clicked yet. We should have clicked by three months. You know, maybe it's a small group. I'm going to try something different, you know? Uh, And that's okay. I think giving ourselves the freedom to say no um, is, is a big deal. That's really good. I love that you keyed in here on oversharing because that was definitely something that I used to engage in. It was something that I felt like, Hey, I'm just going to be so open book. And I, Hey, I can put myself out there. I'm comfortable with my stuff. And I did not realize how much that can freak people out. (laughs) And I, but I also didn't realize how unhealthy it can be and what a Mm -hmm. signal it is to people that something is not quite right. Can you speak to that, to the woman who is caught in that spot right now and how Mm -hmm. she might pull back a little bit? Well, yes, I think it goes back to attachment, right? Uh, It goes back to, I think this is, that's a, 
more of an anxious attachment mm-hmm. uh, model of I'm going to put it all out there and and you know I'm going to try to control it. You know, it's it's uh, let's see if I can liken this to when I used to work with kids uh, in the you know in uh, in home family therapy. I could tell you everything about this kid when I rang the doorbell. And if I rang the doorbell and the kid flung the door open and gave me a big hug the first time we met, there's there's concern there because there is there mm-hmm. is no uh, stranger danger. There's no boundary awareness. There's no information. You know, oh friend, I could have been the the mailman. I could have been an intruder. Like yeah. it didn't it didn't matter to this kid versus the, you know, the kid that I ring the doorbell and the mom answers the, the door and I can't find them because they're hiding under their bed. That's mm-hmm. the other extreme, mm-hmm. right? And so it's it's finding that balance of going, okay. And this is where I, I just really encourage um, people to, to kind of go, okay, like let's role play a little bit. It feels a little awkward, but let's like role play with, with somebody, you know, family member or, or a, a friend of here's, you know, how much I'm going to share. Or even if you just don't have that, you know, write it out. And a lot of times when we write it out and then we see it in front of us, we're like, Oh, that's a lot. I, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I probably should pare back a little bit. Yeah. Nobody needs to know all these details. Yes. And I think there's a discomfort there too, though. Sometimes, and this was the case with me, I felt like I needed to explain all my situation when someone first met me so that you wouldn't have any wrong sure. idea about me. Let me just get it all out there. This is what happened. This is my backstory, yada, right. yada, yada. And now I feel good because I've cleared the air and you won't possibly you know, think anything strange about me. But I recognize it was because I wasn't okay with me. I was not okay with my story. And so as I became more okay with my story and what God thought about me, I recognize I really don't need anybody else's approval. <laughs> nope. But it's that yep. sense too, though. And I think this is the thing that I noticed in my oversharing is that there was always anxiety afterwards. And whether it was, I'm anxious because I said too much. I'm anxious because I don't know what they thought. I'm anxious because I read something funny on their face. Um, I'm anxious because I don't know after this, like, they haven't like we, I met them at small group last week, but then we like we exchanged numbers, but they haven't te- you know texted me or you know any of that kind of stuff. Like there's this constant like preoccupation mm-hmm. with the whole thing, and I recognized that wow, if I just like did not share so much, all that anxiety was gone. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's trial and error, right? If this is something that's new, uh, it's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I think just come back and evaluate um, and. And try again next time, and and be. And I think that's the, like you were saying earlier, judgment free zone. Mm-hmm. We're figuring we're figuring this out, and everybody's going to be a little bit different. Uh, you know, I I always joke that if it was a two plus two equals four formula, I'd be having this interview from a beach in some place. <laughs> <say, laughs> market market my market my formula and be you know, but it's not. It's, done, and, that's, yeah. and, and that and that's okay, and that's actually a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not robotic, it's it's relational. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key is with healthy and safe people, even your mistakes are safe with them. Even your yeah. missteps and all the weird things you say, all of the, the things that you feel bad about afterwards, they're okay with them. That they're not mm-hmm. going to judge you or disconnect from you immediately because you sent up like some kind of weird signal. Right. And those are the kinds of people who will walk with you to help you get to the place where you're starting to feel even more comfortable in your own skin. And that that sense that you do belong somewhere, warts and all, can mm-hmm. can still be possible. Yep, absolutely. Mark, I really appreciate your insights 
into loneliness and how practically we can just start to step through this thing. Mm-hmm. At the end of every conversation, I ask each guest the same question. And it is, if there was just one thing that you would want a single mom to know, what would it be? Well, that's a great question. I uh, just, I think from just as we sit here and as we've talked, I think single moms need to know that they are valuable and they are loved. Uh, and that comes only from the Holy Spirit and from God. And I think a lot of times we, yeah, at least from the, the moms I've worked with and, and the single dads I've worked with and that kind of stuff is that they just feel like they're, they're a mistake and they're not. Um, there is value and there's beauty in their story and who they are. And sometimes I love, I don't know if you know the, the history around the amaryllis uh, plant, um, but I love that. It's the, it's the flower that blooms in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think a lot of times, you know, when we have a, a story that doesn't fit the narrative of what, you know, church puts out, um, is that we need to realize that there is, it's, it's, there's a different type of beauty that's coming out of that. And it's oftentimes a lot stronger than, um, the story that uh, that maybe we hoped it would have been. So I think just really uh, taking back that as uh, re- recognizing that their their value is not in what's happened to them, but it's mm. in who they are. Mm. I appreciate that so much. Thank you, Mark. Mark, tell listeners about your book and your resources and how they can follow along with you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, the book is on Amazon. It's uh, The Path Out of Loneliness, uh, Finding and Fostering Connection to God, Ourselves, and One Another. Um, but if you want to follow just me, you can Facebook and Instagram, uh, the Dr. Mayfield. And then my website is Dr. Mayfield, drmayfield.com. Um, and you know, I'm in the process of developing uh, just a newsletter of uh, mental health encouragement. So, um, you know, if you want to sign up for that, just fill out the form and I'll get you on the list, but, um, Yeah. It's just a, it's an honor that I appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, absolutely. And I will include links in the show notes for listeners to find you more easily, but thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah. Thank you. If you enjoyed this conversation, you might also enjoy episode 96, Reflection and Relief, The Role of Scripture Meditation in Easing Stress, Anxiety, and Loneliness with Neil Alston. You might also enjoy episode 89, Meeting Your Match, How to Know What You're Looking For and Date in Ways to Find It with Dr. Christy Kadarian. We'd love to invite you to get involved with the Plus One Parents community. You can join us on Facebook or Instagram at plusone.parents. And on Facebook, you can join our private Facebook group, Beloved Collective. Also, at plusoneparents.org, we are constantly adding new resources related to all of the topics that we cover here on the Christian Single Moms podcast. That's everything from parenting to dating to spiritual and emotional well-being. If you'd like to stay up to date on the new resources as we release them, you can join our mailing list there as well at plusoneparents.org. I'm so grateful that you're a part of this community and that you were able to join me for this episode today. I pray always that you would know that you are seen and you are beloved.